Arizaro. Welcome to Women at Work and our ongoing conversation about how we can help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics, for today's show on a critically important part of that professional pipeline, that time when women re-enter the workplace after maternity leave. Whether we are employers eager to keep talent on our team or the women for whom work and motherhood must go hand in hand, today's show is for you. We'll be talking with Lauren Smith-Brody, who's the author of The Fifth Trimester, The Working Mom's Guide to Style, Sanity, and Success After Baby, about the unique challenges that come with this time and real-life strategies for navigating it. Our phones are open, of course, and you can reach us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. And we really would love to have you join the conversation. What was it like for you when you returned to work? And what do you wish your employers had done differently to make it easier. That's 1-844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. And while you think back to what might have been that blurry and stressful time, I want to tell you a little bit more about Lauren. She is the founder of the Fifth Trimester Movement, and her book is a simultaneous number one bestseller in the Amazon categories of motherhood, women in business, and cultural anthropology. Not bad for a Penn alum who's joining <laughs> us today. Um, prior to launching T5T, as she'll refer to it. Um, Lauren had a 16-year career in magazine publishing, most recently as the longtime executive editor of Glamour Magazine at Condé Nast, where she produced the Women of the Year Awards, which I loved hearing about every year, honoring luminaries like Dr. Maya Angelou and Hillary Clinton. As both an executive-level manager and a content expert, she led colleagues and 12 million monthly readers through career and life transitions with empathy and vital information, which she now brings to us here in the SiriusXM studio in New York. So, Lauren, welcome. Welcome to Women at Work. Thank you. You make me sound so good. <laughs> you really are. So tell me, why do you refer to that time period when we come back as the fifth trimester? Whose state of development are we talking about? <laughs> Moms, actually. So thanks. That's the perfect first question. So um, the fifth trimester, as I've coined it, is when the working mom is born. Everybody knows what the first three trimesters are. That's pregnancy. I hadn't heard of what is commonly known as the fourth mm-hmm. trimester until I was in it. This idea that human babies are actually born a trimester too early because of the size of the brain and the pelvis. Yes, it was only a very experienced parent who explained to me when I was terrified. Yeah. Like, no, they're not supposed to be out yet, but they have to be. So right. just think about it as a fourth trimester. Right. And so you're also the idea is that you're supposed to just get to the end of that fourth trimester and you'll have a real baby. <laughs> <laughs> Except guess what? You also probably have a real job and that's when you're going back to right. work. And then all of the support, at least for me in that moment, really fell off. It was a very, uh, when I started reading the book, which, by the way, I thought was wonderful, Thank fun, you. useful, and also has important stuff in it. Um, it's funny. My daughter's now 15. Mm-hmm. And at first, I'm thinking, I barely remember it because it, it was great. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, no, 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 no. And then I read more things. And it was both, you know, time has passed. Mm-hmm. I, I, it was months of being sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. And I think blocking out some of the things that were more challenging. And, you know, like any journey on the other side, I have this awesome 15 year old. Yeah. So and job that and work that I love. Yeah. But it's a really hard time. Yeah. So you went through this. You had your own experience, but you gathered a lot of data to write your book. 
You know, I'm a people analytics person. So I dig the data. <laughs> I'm so glad. I, so how did you find out? How did you learn about this? I really didn't know that I was a data nerd until the day that I sat down with these survey results that I had gotten in from these. Um, it was 732 moms and 115 um, dads slash partners. And how did you find them? Uh, it was purely social media. I sent them out to groups of moms on Facebook who shared them with other groups who shared them with other groups. And so it was not... Um, you know, it was not statistically, scientifically, probably what you would do at Wharton necessarily, <laughs> but it was it was actually my it was it was to satisfy my own need before I even started doing the framework for the book and my research to have a sense of what was out there beyond my own experience because I figured out pretty quickly that in spite of the fact that I had a difficult return to work after my twelve weeks of FMLA, some of which were paid. I actually had it better than most American mm -hmm. women. And so my position was one of privilege, and I had to really make sure that I cast a broad net. So I really initially did the research for myself um, to inform the longer interviews that I would do with these women and to make sure I was really accessing all um, all approaches to motherhood that I could find, adoptive moms, single moms, um, all approaches to career. There's hourly wage working moms. There are moms who work part-time, moms who work for themselves, have their own businesses, Um just to make sure I had that breadth of experience in there. And then once I got it and I sat down for those three days and started combing through the data, I realized I actually love data. And I could look at, you know, what are It tells are the, you stories. It really does. And it provides solutions that aren't necessarily available, you know, without having that broad net, you know, cast out over this huge group of people. So I was able to look at, you know, who had an easier time, who had a harder time, what were the other factors they had in common, Um and that really dictated a lot of the advice in the book and also showed me where expertise beyond my own personal experience was really needed. And then I could go find, you know, doctors and scientists and, you know, people who could really um, put other numbers to these problems and help solve them. So when you started to see these patterns mm -hmm. at both ends of the spectrum for the people that had it the hardest and the people that had it the easiest, what were some of the patterns that you saw? Well, the biggest was that women in America, at least, were back at work before they were emotionally and physically ready to be there. Mm -hmm. So 76% of these women who I surveyed said that they wanted, they wished they had had a longer parental leave. However, when you ask them how much longer they wanted it to be, they weren't necessarily asking for a Norwegian year-long you know, right. time home with their baby. They wanted a few more weeks or a couple more months. And that really would have made all the difference. And then if you that sort of led me to some of the science to see that actually the number that at which mom's mental health and baby's physical health both start to really feel protected by the amount of leave is six months and six paid months. And so that was that sort of synced up with what they said. Um, but when I asked them also, okay, so when did you feel better physically, which is not necessarily back in their pre-baby genes, but just comfortable no, but, right. in their own skin, right. and when did you feel better emotionally, that number also was almost six months. That was one of the things that was so fascinating to me is that, you know, if human development in utero is in these three like it's miraculous how it feels like it's in these three months it is stages yeah. Yeah. and then these really are two more three month stages yeah. and it makes sense i was lucky enough that um my husband who's a public school teacher mm -hmm. took family leave so it was unpaid leave but his job was protected he mm -hmm. was the first person in a school district to do it and now lots of dads wow. have done it 
simultaneously. Yeah. Um, but what it did was it gave us six months with one of the two of us at mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. But I was not ready to go back. And I love work. And yeah. it's an important part of me. But I know I wasn't ready to go back. And, and it was comforting to hear I wasn't alone in this. Well, that was also so that was one of the data points is actually the desire to be back at work earlier didn't necessarily correlate with women's ambition. You know, there were actually incredibly ambitious women who were in jobs that, you know, you wouldn't think of as necessarily professional jobs or jobs that had required a great degree of education. Simultaneously, there were some extremely educated, extremely well-paid women who had a real, um, you know, uh, who really suffered in their ambition in that moment, but it wasn't necessarily long-term. Right. And so this is part of why, you know, as, as I was suggesting in the opening, Mm-hmm. That we know that employers are looking to retain talent. Yeah. Employers lose billions of dollars a year when talent leaves. Nineteen billion, actually, that's the number. <laughs> <laughs> I love the data. Yeah, um, and that in particular, women are a particular flight risk. Yeah, at this stage of life, and it's not because um, they're now mothers and don't want to be away from their children. It's because employers don't know how to help keep them in the game and send the message that they're supported. Right, exactly. And so, so much of it is, yes, it, it starts with the policies on paper. It starts with having a good parental leave policy that is, you know, for moms and dads. It's gender neutral. You know, it, it, it sort of satisfies everyone's needs. But it goes actually far beyond just that. Because when you look at actually the sectors that have pretty good I don't want to call it good, humane parental right. leave. So, you know, so, you know, big finance here in New York, um, you know, some a lot of the tech companies make headlines for having these, you know, policies that, that seem almost European. Yeah. Um, the law firms, um, pretty routinely big law offers usually about five months paid leave. Um, they They still have a retention problem. Because people come back to these very, very competitive fields and they experience all of the emotional sea change that, you know, that that any new parent would. And they, I think that in some ways it's exacerbated by being in a more competitive field and surrounded yes. by people and life has moved on more quickly than, you know, they might have imagined. They come back and their team has been reorganized and yet they're <laughs> supposed to still be moving at the speed of light. And and you know, new parenthood isn't isn't like that. There's a there's a reset for a lot of people of um, just your internal priorities, um, and then also just physically of your day, of your body, of right. when your day must end in order to get home to a, a baby. Um, it's practical. It's yeah, physical. It's emotional, and it's an interesting and surmountable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it's an interesting pattern that you're discussing. I was talking with some women earlier today who were noting the difference between when an organization implements policies. Yeah, whether it's a sexual harassment policy mm-hmm. um, or a maternity leave policy mm-hmm. that is some policies sometimes they're meant to protect the organization or it's the organization trying to do the right thing through policy but they don't understand that if you don't change culture right. the policy is only going to be effective to right. a certain degree by the way this is women at work on business radio on Sirius XM 111 I'm your host Laura Zarrow and I'm talking with the amazing Lauren Smith Brody of the fifth trimester the working mom's guide to style sanity and success after baby and if you have a question for Lauren or you want to share your experience what was going on at your company when you came back to work. What helped? What hurt? We'd really love to hear from you. You can reach us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So coming back to this question of there's policy and there's culture. And it's nice to see that these big organizations have, A, heard that they need to improve their policies. Yes. And they have the resources so that they can make that time available. Mm -hmm. What needs to change in culture? 
So some of the culture is dictated by policy, but it's really dictated by by leadership using the full extent of the policy available to them. So, you know, you've got to have particularly men in leadership. You know, if you want to show that women actually should be making the same amount of money for their jobs as men, have some men take some paternity leave and show that their time isn't somehow more valuable in the workplace than women. So leadership needs to take every drop of that time that is available to them and also needs to say, hey, Wednesdays, I coach Little League, you know, I'm going to be leaving at 4.30 and not just sort of sneak out the door and not try to hide it. You know, there needs to be a certain transparency about parenthood in the workplace, but it goes beyond parenthood too. It really needs to be a transparency about our personal lives to the degree that it can be professional in the workplace and fuel us and have everyone know that it's okay to bring your whole self to work. There is so much in what you just said. So I want to <laughs> and there's more. <laughs> I know. It's delicious. Um, Thanks. So first, it's this important start from the top and then be supported with what's going on within the organization, something we've talked a lot about here. And in particular, these policies around leave. I, mm-hmm. I want to point out there's two different kinds of policies that go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And it's... Um, Maternity, paternity. Mm-hmm. I want to call them new baby policies. Yeah, yeah. Because I think it because it, it 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 takes us a step away from who gave birth, right? To who's engaged in active parenting. It's not actually about the uterus because it applies to gay couples who adopt. Exactly. You know, or you know, if you have a a new stepchild, like I actually think that it would be quite reasonable to include some parental leave. You know, for your becoming family that to child's adjust. Parent. Yeah, it, these are important life changes that affect you on multiple levels. Yeah. And then there's flex time. Which is the ability to use your time in a more flexible way. Mm -hmm. As long as you're putting your hours in and getting your work done, the question Mm -hmm. of where you work and when you work is something that can transform a person's life. And it's not just um, first mothers, but also anybody in a family, adults who are taking care of their adult parents, or people who are trying to do things to be whole people. Are you training for Iron Man? Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. Are you taking violin lessons? Like you said, these are all ways that we expand who we are and become happier and more productive people who come to work more engaged. Yes. And the other thing that's interesting in this, and I think that, and I see people struggle with, mm-hmm. is, and this will come back to the issue of parenthood in a second, is that um, I wonder if we ran a survey. Do you think it's appropriate to give somebody time off to go train for their marathon? Mm-hmm. Is it appropriate to give somebody time off to go to their daughter's clarinet recital? Right. And often people will say no because that's not important. It's not urgent. It's a choice that they make. Yet part of what you're supporting and what we see happening throughout business that helps people Mm -hmm. is these are all things that contribute to us being better versions of ourselves. It's not just that we're happy so we stay. They nourish us. Right. And we do meaningful work because of it. And I would say you also have to ask those same people is it reasonable? Should you should you be answering an email at ten o'clock at night from your boss? Right, that's Probably. the flip side. So of it. you know, if you're going to be available around the clock, if you're going to roll over in your bed first thing in the morning and check your phone for an email from above, then you know it, it's got to go both ways. Yeah. Then there's another part of this. So if these things nourish us, mm-hmm. tell me, have you, as you became a parent, <laughs> did it change you as a professional? It really, really did. Yeah. How did it change you? It's funny. This is, you know, I'm, I feel like a fool because I, I researched this whole book. I wrote this whole book and it really took me until I got to the very end when I started answering questions about my motivation. And it, I realized my motivation was not just that I had struggled. It was that coming back to work, 
I had reached a point in my career. I worked at a magazine. There was there was a masthead to climb, and I climbed it like it was a ladder in front of me, mm-hmm. and was proud of my progress. But, Appropriately so. Yeah, thank you. But um, but I also kind of had had I had maxed out on the rung that I wanted to get to, and you know, and I and I didn't really know, I didn't know what was left to learn. Um, I was in an industry that was at that point somewhat contracting. We had tried all kinds of different avenues of, of, you know, finding income and revenue for the magazine, tried all kinds of new projects. And I realized as I came back and struggled, there was actually one day when um, a woman I worked with who I had hired, um, she was in a, she was younger than me, but it wasn't about age. It was really that she was in a different stage of life than I was. Um, She was, I think, had a boyfriend, but was not married yet and was not you know, anticipating kids anytime soon. And it was after I had been back for a couple of months and she was sitting across my desk and we were working on something together. And she said to me, I just want to say thanks. Thanks so much for being so just open about this whole motherhood thing. And I actually, I kind of blanched for a minute because I, I was, I was a young manager for my title and I thought, Oh God, have, right. I, have, have I, I been unprofessional? Right, you know, have I overexposed myself. Exactly, and I thought, have I just said, you know, one too many times? I'm tired. You know, like I didn't <laughs> sleep last night. Uh, you know, but uh, um, but then she went on to say, because you've shown me, I'm going to be able to do it one day too. And there are a lot of parents around here, but there are a lot of people who are um, trying to hide some of that in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I see you doing it and struggling and still succeeding. Shows me that I'm going to be able to do it one day, too. And I don't really think I knew that before I saw you. So thanks. And I thought, oh, God, thank God there's, like, new meaning in my work. <laughs> so, you know, the, the what was on the pages of the magazine was still interesting to me. But but really, the part of me that needed to develop professionally at that point was my management. And I decided then and there I was going to be really dedicating myself to helping grow the talent around me in a way that was really human really warm, really honest. Well, I also would posit that some of that also is a reflection of becoming a parent. Yes. Oh, it absolutely is. I, um, now, granted, as I... You want to nurture everything. Yes. (laughs) And that as I mature as a parent, I'm also maturing and getting older and hopefully getting smarter. Um, And my staff, when when I'm back in tomorrow, tell me if I'm wrong. (laughs) But I think that um, it helps develop us in a different way. Yeah. And that we have a different perspective and ability to, like you were saying, nurture. But if we want to use um, less maternal terms, Mm -hmm. it's to help people grow and to know critical things that have to do with management and leadership. When do you give space? Mm -hmm. How do you let people have enough room to learn from their mistakes, Mm -hmm. pick themselves up? Mm -hmm. How do you provide a safe place for that to happen? These are actually critical components in teaching people to embrace a safe level of risk that helps them emerge as impactful leaders. Right. I think sometimes we actually, we gender it too much. You know, there's no reason why a father couldn't also talk about how he has developed in that same way in the workplace. And, you know, I, I sort of give a list to the women who I speak to of the ways that motherhood makes you better in the workplace. And, I, you know, I actually initially kind of shied away from talking about the nurturing too much because it did feel too mommy gendered Even though to it's me, a word that I love. But and it's that really I, worthy. And I hope people use when they talk about me. Yeah. Yes, of course. I yeah. wouldn't be offended. Yeah. I'd actually be flattered. But I think it's an important thing about changing workplace culture and mm-hmm. that if workplace culture looks more at how do we help individuals thrive right. so that an organization can thrive, right. then part of it is making the organization more nurturing. Right. And, and you know, there's no shame in looking at the dollars that that turns into, too. If that's what's convincing, fine. Put it on right. a P&L. <laughs> <laughs> and there are big dollars that are attached to this. Yes. 
because it's not only how you keep talent over time and avoid the gap, mm-hmm. but it's also then what that talent contributes to the organization. Exactly. And it's, yeah, it's not, you know, it's not having to pay to replace them. It's also, it's the things that are harder to measure too, which is how many, how many resources have you put into developing and growing this mm-hmm. person? Um you know, along with what would it cost to replace them if they left and then the time you would put into developing that person. Um, but I also wanted to say I, you know, I want all all women who, who hear this and who and who read this book to know that, you know, yes, there are ways that you can walk in and demand policy changes. And I'll tell you how to do that. There, there are ways to negotiate that are in this book that come that I do want to me, talk about because they're good. <laughs> but I also really want women who are not necessarily feeling that burst of energy in this moment when they are tired and they are living in the United States of America and coming back to work before they're ready to. Right. I want them to know that just being transparent about their their parenthood in the workplace will ultimately affect change, too. It can ultimately shift the culture. If we all just go one little tiny step beyond what we think is appropriate, you're never going to get fired for one tiny step beyond. It's right? true. But if we all did it simultaneously, it would make a difference. And that can feel very empowering to know that you're making a difference in that way. It's There was a great section of the book where you talked about how far do people go in this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And in particularly around nursing mothers. Yeah. And, um, you know, when we think about what different women face, mm-hmm. you know, there's been a big fight in many cultures to even give women a private sp- place. Yeah a lactation room, a place to pump. Yeah. And for years, women were doing it in group bathrooms. It right. was awkward. It was embarrassing. It was unproductive. It, it unsanitary. Diminishes, yeah, unsanitary yeah. diminishes your dignity. Yeah. And it's no wonder, you know, you're going home in tears. It and, actually impacts baby's health. You know? <laughs> right. Right. Um, and so... And then you told the story on the other end where mm-hmm. there was a woman who was actually so comfortable with her reality. <laughs> She's that amazing. She, that she was <laughs> pumping in meetings with her staff uh-huh. present. For me, that especially when I did this, that would have felt like a, a step too far. Yeah. But I was so impressed. Well, it's so interesting that you bring her up. Her name is Lydia. Um, she is an SVP at Christie's. She's amazing. Um, she An elegant place. A very elegant place. She is the most elegant woman you've ever met. She's amazing. She has three kids. Um, so when she told me that story, I had the same sort of gut reaction you did, which was like, eh, I was nervous when somebody walked in on me. You know, that felt, felt you know. I was nervous even, car, and I had my own office at the time. I was mm-hmm. even nervous about closing my door at a regular time each yeah. day yeah. and doing it. And I was afraid to tell anybody that I was pumping. Yeah. Like, why can't you come in the door? So that's gotten better. And what I was going to say about Lydia is that she told me the story. Now I did the research for it. It was like almost exactly two years ago. And in that time, this is the final frontier. Like, you know, and maybe it's just that I live in New York City and it's a bit <laughs> of a bubble. But, you know, if we talked, you know, five years ago about people being able to nurse in public, well, people are starting to walk down the street pumping. I'm not kidding. You're there's, kidding me. Well, there's a, first of all, there's a new pump that actually is um, – Oh, I'm not going to describe it correctly, but it, it fits inside your bra, so it's actually not visible. So you're from not the outside. exposed. You're not exposed at all, and the milk collects in the cups itself that are on your breasts, and and then you can put it in the bottle. So you you could conceivably be in a meeting pumping. Oh, that's and hysterical no one for all the know. multitaskers. Yes, out there. exactly. So this is the final frontier, and it's you know. There's a lot of controversy about about pumping breast milk and if it is actually something that just chains us to our sort of motherly duties, you know. No, it, it's it's complex. Yeah. And different women have a different capacity for it yes. and different feelings about it. And I also appreciated in the book that you weren't talking about right or wrong God, in terms no. of personal choice, yeah. but more how 
are our choices enabled and supported, exactly. which is the critical issue. And so to, to dive into this a little bit more, talk to me about what you've learned about this issue of transparency about what our bodies are doing and why why the barriers there to not talk about yeah. them? And then what does it mean to let that barrier dissolve around parenthood, yeah. especially in a workplace where we don't want to be perceived of or treated as sexual objects? It's such a good question. So it it, it is because, at least in our culture, it is sexualized. Breasts are sexualized, right? Um, you know, but there's something that happens when you have a baby, um, a baby that you have given birth to. Everyone knows, like, guess what? You had sex. <laughs> Oh, my God. Like, you're a human being. At least once, know? right? Exactly. <laughs> so the advice that I give to women who are in the situation of having to, you know, have these these what they feel are, are challenging conversations contextually is, look, they're really only uncomfortable if the person you're talking to is uncomfortable. And that person is going to take his or her cues from you. So if you address it in the most straightforward way... I have I, I'm going to need to do this at X time, you know, mm -hmm. X times a day. I'd love to work together to figure out how to make it convenient for everybody. And actually, I could even imagine getting some work done while I'm pumping. You know, make it productive work time if you can, if that right, works for you. Right, if you can you. give me a place where I can do both. Right, exactly. Um, you know, I'd love to work with you to figure this out. And, and whatever we figure out for me, we'll, we'll, we'll answer the question and we'll save you from having, you know, these challenging conversations from now until eternity. Right. There's an important little um, piece of what you just said, which is about where we pump. Yeah. And how that affects our workday. Yeah. So I know there are organizations who have set up beautiful lactation rooms. Yeah. They're comfortable. There's something to eat. There's something to drink. Mm -hmm. um, they're nice places to be. But it's a schlep. Yeah. You have to leave your desk, go somewhere else, get set up, pump, which takes forever, clean up, mm -hmm. pack up, mm -hmm. and move back. And so that if you're doing that two to three times a day, you've lost a lot of work time. Yeah. And where I was lucky enough to have my own office... I could be at my desk. Right. I had a little fridge under work. my desk. Yeah. And that was, again, when I talk about my privilege, like, I was pretty privileged. Yeah. So in terms of that, if we, you were going to give some suggestions yeah. to an employer, what could we do to help our staff come back? And let's because there's a lot of advice to give. Yeah. So with the little bit of time we have yeah. before break, in particular, if we want to help women come back and make pumping possible for them. Yeah. What are a few suggestions you would provide? So it is it is addressing all of the logistics that you just named. It's how close is the is the pumping room? Um, how um, how good quality are the pumps that are there? It is absolutely worth spending 500 extra dollars to have hospital grade pumps because that way, I mean, they actually are able to extract the milk. Faster. Much more quickly, yeah. um, and it also you're much less. This is getting graphic, but you're much less likely to have blocked ducts and things that you know ultimately can cause a fever and mastitis and right. have a mom you so know, need to stay home from work. It's an investment it's in an the health absolute of the women. investment. Yes, but then it is also about you know it's about letting the women feel like they can work um, in that space if they want to and if that's comfortable for them. Um, it's about having good Wi-Fi there, good yes. signal. Check and see if there's a good signal. It's about not having to go up a separate elevator bank. There's a bank downtown um, in New York that has a beautifully appointed professionally, like you've heard of the designer who actually designed the decor for this room, and nobody uses it because it's up a separate elevator bank that no one can get to three times a day. Where, very simply, if you give people a private space, yeah. they have a computer and Wi-Fi, and I think give everyone a small refrigerator, refrigerator. so they know Absolutely. their milk is safe. Yeah. It makes all the difference And in the Milk world. Stork for traveling. This is this company that actually ships um, milk back home for you on dry ice. 
So if you're a woman who has to travel for business, yeah. you can still pump and then they will make sure your milk gets so, home yeah. and it's absolutely intact. Yes. That's all pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. Okay. So more of this and more when we come back. So stay with us after the break. Lauren and I are going to continue our discussion about how we make all of this possible and more. I'm Laura Zarrow and you're listening to Women at Work here on Business Radio powered by the Warren School on Sirius XM 111. This is the conversation you want to hear and never thought you would. What is it you said to Howard Stern to induct you into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? You're listening to Women at Work on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Here again is Laura Zarrow. Welcome back to Women at Work and our ongoing conversation about how we can get more women to join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics. And today, I have the pleasure of talking with Lauren Smith Brody about her amazing book, just released in paperback, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Called The Fifth Trimester, The Working Mom's Guide to Style, Sanity, and Success After Baby. Um, Lauren is an accomplished journalist, a manager, a mom, a penalist. <laughs> and really the force behind what's not just a book, but a movement, Thank the fifth you. trimester. So Lauren, we're so thrilled to have you here. Thanks. So I didn't get a chance to ask you about this in the first half. Talk to me a little bit about why this is a movement and what form that's taking. Oh, my gosh. So this has been the whole, the the hardback of the book came out exa- a year ago today, actually. Exactly. Happy birthday. Thank you. It's <laughs> my third child. Um, and what, and my intention all along was for this to really be a movement. And that is what I've been so delighted to to see happen. So I have, you know, done a lot of speaking, um, both at um, sort of nonprofits and, and new moms groups um, all over the country. But then also the, the parallel to that is that I do um, some corporate speaking as well. And what I find no matter what, every single time I do one of these talks, and I've been to, I've been to Facebook, I've been to Google, um, I did American Express a couple weeks ago, so it's growing and it's exciting. But what ends up happening is that people share these incredibly personal stories in in a setting that you know they might not otherwise have felt comfortable doing so and then i end up engaged on <laughs> social media with them and over email and the conversation continues and then they spread that feeling of being able to talk about this transition to call it by a name um to their friends and their friends and i've found you know even just looking at the book sales it's very much a pass along word of mouth kind of book people tend to buy three books because they give them to all of their friends who are expecting to, babies yes. <laughs> um so it's been um it's been it's been wonderful to see spread in that way and I truly believe that, you know, no matter how much agency a woman may feel like she has going back to work or doesn't have, that that the one thing that you can do is be transparent about your motherhood in the workplace. Ask for what you need, um, both at home and in the workplace, to the degree that you feel you can, and you will make change culturally. Without a doubt. And the... I love hearing you talk about that surprise of people sharing their stories. Yeah. Because yeah. also, um, and I'm going to guess it was the same for you, becoming a parent was the most profound experience of my life. It continues to be. Yeah. Nothing changed me more. Yeah. Nothing um, was as important. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that I don't love work because I love work. And they tease me that sometimes I can get a little obsessed with You're it. You're here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Um, but that... 
to have something that's so profoundly important mm-hmm. that affects us in such a tremendous way, that has such a ripple effect in our society, be something that we've had to keep almost closeted, secret, that we can't talk about. Right. Um, because of all these disparities in the workplace, there is something fundamentally wrong with that. And it's not just that it's unfair to us. It's like we're all losing out as a community. Well, and it's unfair to our children, too, right? Like they should they should be able to see their parents achieving things in the world because what are we meant to do if not role model for our children the people we would like them to become one day yes and see us be satisfied i mean i hate this whole idea of like apologizing to your child for having to be at work no explain to your child why you're working so hard and why it matters to you there was that was one of the parts of the book that i particularly loved cuz it spoke to me um there was a stretch of time where i was doing not often but mm-hmm. some big trips to mm-hmm. Asia to run events. Yeah. And I'd be away for about 10 days. And I felt guilt. Yeah. And I felt tremendous guilt. Yeah. And I remember attaching to one of the trips time to go to the Great Wall of China. Yeah. Because you're there. Right. <laughs> and time to go to Bali. Yeah. And I was weighing out, do I come home a day or two early because I feel guilty and have to rush home? Or do I say give her the message, I had to go for work. Yeah. And there are experiences in life that you should seize, and I want you to seize them. And when you have the chance to see the Great Wall of China, go see the Great Wall of China. And did you say that? I yes. hope you said that. Yes. That's half the battle is not just doing it, but actually communicating it. And I didn't know, like with parenting, yeah. you know, am I wrong? Am I right? Am I doing <laughs> damage? But you get that, another chance tomorrow. Anyway. She seems to appreciate yeah. this. And then, um, and I read somewhere else. I don't know if it was in your book or somewhere else that with kids, if we explain why we can't be with them. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to making them feel like we just don't want to or we just abandon them, they can understand. Right. We need to be at work now. I still love you. I'm coming back. Right. And you can say that to a baby, too. You know, that is that is something it's very easy for me to tell you that I can have a conversation with my six year old and nine year old about, you know, why I'm not picking them up at school today. But, you know, it's another thing to, to have to convince a brand new mom who is leaving her eight week old baby in someone else's care that, you know, that that's meaningful to that. That baby. Well, some of it is about actually training yourself and getting used to the idea of it and is about not opting out prematurely. Right. You know? And in the section of the book where you talk about our child care choices, yeah. um, the pros and cons of them, depending on, mm-hmm. you know, our personalities, our work lives, our mm-hmm. income levels, our mm-hmm. support systems. One of the messages that I read throughout it was that it was so interesting to see this pattern of the choice we think we're making the choice around our babies. <laughs> yeah. And because that's where we're focused, but we're really making choices around our own comfort level and it's okay. Yeah. It's actually important that we acknowledge that. So it's so funny. It is actually just to to maybe overshare it, that chapter of the book, which is the first, because mm-hmm. it is sort of chronologically one of the very first things you need help with is childcare, figuring it out. It was the last chapter that I wrote. Out of out of everything in there, because I just couldn't face it, because I didn't want to tell women what what choice they needed to make. And so I decided, you know, like with everything else, to really look at the research. And it turns out, so there's this huge compendium that was done of studies that was that was put together by the government um, that looked at 15 years of early childhood education and care. And it, it attempted to solve this this question of, you know, is it better for baby to be home with mom, home with some other caregiver in the home, or in daycare? And are we damaging them and if are we send them? Exactly. And so there's actually cases to be made for and against each of those situations that, you 
you know, some of it is about externalizing behavior, some of it's about internalizing behavior, about how verbal the child is at what age. You can make a case for any of them. But so I got all the way to the end of this 100-page report of all of these studies where they looked at, you know, 15 years worth of children and how they developed. And the very last thing there is essentially a statement that said, but all of this is really predicated upon mom's emotional comfort with her decision. And I thought, Eureka, thank God. Talk about bearing the lead. Now I know how to write this chapter because it's not actually about the logistics, which you know your logistics. You know whether or not you can get to daycare by 5 o'clock or be charged $5 per minute that you're late or you need someone in your home or you have a mom who lives three cities away or three blocks away. But what I don't know is how you feel about it. So how do you ask yourself the right questions to get emotionally comfortable with the decision you're making? Because believe me, your child is going to feel your stress if you're not comfortable. Absolutely. First of all, that was one of the things I'm still trying to be mindful of is how much they pick up on what we feel. But also, and it goes back to why I think this concept of the fifth trimester and that that's when the working mother is born Mm -hmm. and recognizing that the emotional needs the emotional realities are important things to tend to, just like we're trying to tend to the emotional needs and realities of our children. Right. So that they can become more secure, become more independent, go on and thrive. It's that if we don't recognize that this is an important developmental stage mm-hmm. and that women will come out of this and any new parent on the other side, but particularly those who have gone through the birth process right. because there's another physical burden, right? that this is necessary to help that transition into being a working mom and a whole person that you're, it's yeah. going to make you bigger and better in all these dimensions, but you've got to get through this period of time. It's the first for, for most, I would venture for most working women, it is the first big transition you go through. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time when you have really had to negotiate around your life and your work. It will not be the last. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you can start getting comfortable with having some of those negotiating conversations and even just the internal ones that you have with yourself or with your partner, if you can start getting comfortable with having those now, you're doing yourself a tremendous favor because you're going to keep having those resets and conversations and negotiations. It's an ongoing process. Forever. By the way, this is Women at Work on Business Radio on Sirius XM 111. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow. I am talking with Lauren Smith-Brody of the Fifth Trimester, the Working Mom's Guide to Style, Sanity, and Success After Baby. If you have a question about what we're discussing, you want some advice from Lauren about how do you pull it together and go back (laughs) to work, um, give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So on that note. Yeah. Let's talk about how you pull it together and go back to work <laughs> because it's really hard. Yeah, it really is. So obviously, you got to figure out what am I going to do with this baby? Yeah. And not to be flip about it, but childcare is super important and it takes time to sort that out. But what about us? Yeah. I found it incredibly hard just to get out the door while yes. I was on maternity leave. So it is all about transitions. So so it is about the morning transition and the evening transition are incredibly stressful and I, it's funny. Like, I actually hated to sort of look at the superficial aspect of how you take care of yourself in terms of style and beauty and all of that. But I found very quickly that that was what people needed help with. It's certainly what I needed help with, even if I didn't want to admit it. And that and you worked at a fashion magazine. Exactly. You're kind well, of inherently yeah. glamorous. Well, no, I'm really not, actually. <laughs> and so it added more pressure to really feel like I looked the part and not have a tremendous, you know, layering of imposter syndrome and, on top of everything else. Um, but I found. If you can find tricks that help you that help you feel better about the way you look 
it, it ultimately helps you with that transition first thing in the morning, especially. So when I looked at the data from my surveying, my nerdy data, um, <laughs> the women women reported spending um, less time on um, – sorry, more time getting ready in the morning than they ever had before. I think it was 33 extra minutes every mm-hmm. morning getting ready. However, they spent half the amount of time that they ever had previously on themselves, which tells you know where that time is going. It's going into baby care. And when I asked them, you know, how much time every morning did you actually spend just enjoying your baby, not caring? caring for the baby or caring for yourself, it was six minutes. And that is, for some reason, that is the statistic that starts making people cry when I, know, I, when I do a corporate right. lunch and learn. <laughs> but it's, but that, again, helped helped me figure out, okay, so how do I how do I frame this advice? So some of it really is about the style and beauty, which I can tell you about in a minute. But it's also about with those baby care tasks, really make sure that you, you, you sort of rank them for yourself of what are the things that actually give me the most pleasure in in caring for my baby you know do I really love picking out the baby's outfit every day that sounds so simple but if that's if that's one of the things you looked forward to when you were pregnant you want to dress this little doll baby and that makes you happy and you go into your day happier then let's figure out how you can be the one to do that in the morning and maybe actually you don't have to do you know, if, if bath time is stressful for you, maybe you don't have to do that. Maybe that's something you can, you know, have your, your, your partner do or perhaps your caregiver. So some of it is about prioritizing the baby care tasks. Um, in terms of beauty, uh, the very best thing, and I talked to um, uh, Jessica Weiser, who is a uh, dermatologist in New York City who treats tons of celebrities and is sort of my, my guru for all these things. So this is her, and she has every product in the world that she's tried or could recommend. And do you know what her advice is what? about taking care of, of your, your beauty? Do tell. Essentially, drink more water and wash your makeup off at the end of the day. Her goal is for you to not need a lot of makeup. I mean, yes, we're all going to need concealer if you're sleeping. <laughs> but, you know, the idea is if you take care of your skin in those two ways, you won't need to spend as much time covering things up in the morning. Right. And so it, part of it's thinking about like the – it's like when we think about the infrastructure of a system. Yeah. If we're core to this system. Yeah. What's our functional infrastructure? Exactly. Because I, I, I actually – this may be like – too much about Laura, but I have these anxiety dreams all the time yeah. where I'm trying to get somewhere and my bag's all of a sudden unpacked or why uh, am I not wearing shoes and uh-huh. I can't pull it together. But it feels amazingly similar to what those early days with baby felt like. Yeah. And figuring out ways to be efficient so that you can function yes. and you can make your time count where it matters, yes. which is with your take child, pleasure from it. with your partner, and then be at work and be ready to engage, which I also found mm-hmm. as exhausting as it was to get there. Mm-hmm. Being at work was incredibly nourishing for yeah. me. It helped me remember a part of myself. It's well, something, a whole, you, something you know how to do. Yes, <laughs> and while a whole new part of myself grew with the arrival of my daughter, I was also terrified. This is all uncharted territory. Yeah. But I could go to work and do something and see it have an impact. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's a, it's a ladder you have, you know, to whatever whatever rung of it you're on, you've gotten there. You know, with a baby, it is, you know, your first day on the job is your first day on the job. And nobody, nobody likes that. Day. I don't like no. that. Day. So let's talk about that a little bit because yeah. um, I remember reading um, Alison Downey's book. Yeah, who I think is also talks yeah. about this in a lot of important ways. And it was the first time I saw somebody really articulate the idea that we could use our leave policy mm-hmm. and we didn't have to use it all at once. Did you want to come back after 12 weeks and then you're in full time or do mm-hmm. you want to come back after 11 weeks and save a week and mm-hmm. maybe do several? F- so what are some of the things you learned about how to come back that help 
maximize your chances of success. So the very, very best thing you can do is, you know, if, if we know that, that six months is that magic number at which mom's chance of having a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder dramatically decreases, baby's chances of being vaccinated and healthy increase, your chances of being able to be successful breastfeeding if you want to be, which helps baby's, you know, respiratory health and lack of ear infections, it all sort of, you can make a big case for it. Um, so you want to... You want to figure out how close you can get to to that six months, but that looks like very different things for different families. So that might mean relying on some family care when you go back to work. It might mean if your company does allow intermittent leave or if your partner's company allows intermittent leave, yes, spreading it out in that way to sort of ease the phase back in. It might mean that what you're negotiating, what you're negotiating for at work is something that has worked in um, – largely um, European industries where they'll have a phase-back program where they will actually pay employees their their full salary to come back at like 60% mm-hmm. for just six weeks. And it makes an enormous, you know, um, impact on um, on attrition and, and retention of these women. Um, so there's all kinds of things you can do. I would say the very, the number one thing you can do is if you have a partner who has a different amount of parental leave than you do and they're able to take it later, have have that partner take a month of leave when you go back to work because what it does is baby gets a little bit older, a little bit less vulnerable, is in the home with someone who is you know, a parent taking mm-hmm. care of who loves him or her. Their, their child. Um, but it also allows you as a mom who perhaps has had a longer parental leave than dad and been home with the baby learning all these things on the job. It allows you to see that this other parent who is your partner is capable. And you that's trust critically that important. And that person. And the, there's all the studies that just show that if dad for every month of, of parental leave a father takes, his wife's lifetime earnings increase by 7%. No, it has a huge ripple effect. That's for thousands of reasons. And <laughs> Josh Leves is particularly yeah. articulate about yeah. this. It's also about the importance of establishing a dynamic so that dads are equally respected as competent caregivers yes. and can be as engaged with yes. their children. Yeah. So that's good for the kids. It's good for dad. And it's also that enables mom to be back in the workplace in a different way. Yes. And to uh, yes. And I think, you know, I, I hate to blame the victim here because I, I do think <laughs> that, you know, like moms have kind of a, a crappy deal. However, you know, you can't be a gatekeeper and expect a expect an equal partner. There are so many couples I have talked to who came into their marriages with the best intentions. And, you know, for better and for worse, we are a a generation of women who believe that we should be able to do everything. And so we apply that same professionalism to everything we do in the home. We maximize, we we Google everything, you know, we figure out, you know, the solutions for everything. We learn it on the job and then dad's off at work and doesn't learn it. And so guess what? You want it done your way. And right. you have to be aware of that, you know, even that early on, it really does set patterns. Um, and also that I think some of that is our attaching to controlling what we can at a time where things feel out of control. Absolutely, And we yes. have to learn to trust our partners. Yes, yeah. So when we look at it from the workplace perspective, mm-hmm. what can the workplace do to make this reentry more successful? So we were talking before the break about mm-hmm. lactation, mm-hmm. Um, making sure that there's a safe and comfortable place. It's mm-hmm. not far away. Mm-hmm. You can work while you're doing it. A private refrigerator or even in 
firms that can afford it, yeah. a service yes, if you have to yeah. travel to yeah, fly yeah, yeah. your milk home. What are some other things that organizations can and should do to make that reentry period more successful for everybody, not just for the mom, but for right. the organization? Well, I think some of it is about phase-back programs. I think some of it is also about taking it away from this, you know, the most visible physical need, the, the most visible personal life need in the workplace is a big pregnant belly. But you know, <laughs> businesses that are also good at tending to all those other personal life needs, elder care or, you know, your your mm-hmm. Iron Man training, you know, employee, that sends a signal universally that takes the uterus out of the equation and just makes it about treating our employees like actual people, not like widget makers, right? Right. So that helps too. Um, Practically, you can, um, I think the phase back program is one to really consider. I also think that there is, you know, we've seen at at Amazon and Starbucks that they have started giving um, the same amount of leave um, to their hourly workers as they do to their to their um, corporate workers, and and that also sends a signal that like, hey, we're all human here, you know, and and it makes a big difference so that it's not um, leave isn't something that's a perk attached to your value to the organization. Yeah. it's a fundamental it's a right. right that you have. Yeah, that should be granted by our government and and is not. And you know, there are a lot of places that do a very good job of having you know women's affinity groups and new parent affinity groups and ways to, you know, get together with other new parents. But if you don't feel like you can step away from your work long enough to go spend that hour bonding with those other parents, it doesn't do any good. Right. And it's at a time where, where you feel stretched so thin anyway. Right. This is, by the way, is Women at Work on Business Radio on Sirius XM 111. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow. I'm talking with Lauren Smith Brody of the Fifth Trimester, the Working Mom's Guide to Style, Sanity, and Success After Baby. If you have a question about any of this, give us a call, one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So I want to touch base on the phase back program mm-hmm. again. Because there was one of the things that you wrote about that I didn't realize was how um most leave policies are actually written so that you could phase back, but most people don't realize that they can ask for it. Right. So, I mean, even FMLA, you, you are allowed to take those 12 weeks at any point over the course of the year after having a baby. And asking is another one of your big, big yeah. messages. Yeah. And um, and I felt I saw it in two different arenas. So mm-hmm. one is up close and personal at home mm-hmm. in your most intimate spaces, realizing that it's important to ask. Yeah. It's important to ask that somebody help you with laundry, that somebody go to the grocery store, that if you have humans in your life who love you, yeah. reach out to them and don't pretend to be superwoman. And they actually want to be asked. And they don't they know do. how to help if you don't tell them. Yeah. yeah. The only thing that a dad cannot do for a baby, and you probably heard this exact line from Josh Lev's, is is produce breast milk. And, like, we're working on that. Like, that's right. going to happen eventually. <laughs> we'll be there before yeah. you know it. Um, but that also asking at work yeah. is critically important. Yeah. One of the first um, interesting stories I heard about this, and it was like an aha moment, mm-hmm. was that um, a woman had come back and her boss was scheduling a 7.30 breakfast meeting. Yeah, yes. And 7.30, you know, she had she also had older kids and that's drop yeah. off from school. And it was this huge, huge conflict for her. And it, it, it was just trembling inside until she realized, I need to talk to him. Right. And when she did, he was like, oh, yeah. I didn't know. We'll move the meeting. Most people are not unreasonable. But if you are not, if you are not visible about the fact that these things are challenges... This is this is my colleague coming to me saying, thank you for showing me that it's hard. Right. If you don't show that something is hard, no one around you can know that 
that it should be fixed. So with the few minutes we have left, yeah. and while I'll say there's a great section in the book on this. Oh, thanks. Talk to us a little bit about how in the workplace you ask for what you need when you come back and the policies and practices are not in place. Right. So it's my, my friend Julia Beck, who runs the It's Working Project, which also focuses on a lot of this work, calls this um, being your parent zero. You're, you're the first person in your workplace to ask for something. So um, you, go in, you go into the negotiation as you would any negotiation. Just because it's about your personal life doesn't mean that it should be approached any differently. It really is about managing up. It's about figuring out, you know, what concerns is, you know, this manager going to have with this plan? How are you still going to do your job? You come in with a plan. You don't just come with an ask. You come with a plan or maybe three plans, but you don't make them too complicated. I had one woman um, in a group that I was speaking to say, I got turned down and look, I gave them this. And it was five pages single spaced. And I said, oh, my gosh, I know exactly what you need to do. Make this four <laughs> bullet points. Because right. if it looks complicated, they're going to think it's too complicated. The other thing is is that legally, you know, a lot of managers are worried about setting precedent. So another thing that I heard from a lot of women that was that was successful for them is to say, could we just try this for two months and check in? Could we try this for that season again for three months and check in? And what that does is, you know, the manager doesn't feel like he or she is signing this in blood. You know, right. it's, it's something that it they're stays just going to as, as a pilot. As a pilot. Everybody's more comfortable with a pilot. And especially if you, ha- if you have a baby, you know that, you know, babies needs change by the month, if not by the week. So right. by the time that two months has passed, you it's may a have whole new a different need. And you have, you have now engaged in what is going to be an ongoing negotiation over the course of your career about it's not no longer a negotiation it's just a conversation of how is this working right and how we work together at any given point treating these things as options for discussion exactly what about managing sideways Managing sideways. Oh, this I is love okay. That. So this is about. We, we've just got a minute or two. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so this is about colleagues, and this is again. I hate to like the blame the victim. I hate to put anything on any new mom's list coming back to work. But if there is one thing you can do, do something kind for someone who has covered work for you while you were out particularly if that person is not a parent. Figure out what is going on in that person's personal life that you can make some offer to help with. And it immediately levels the playing field. It makes it about the fact that they it's not that it's unfair that they helped you because you had a baby. It's we're all human. We all help each other. And we all do better work for it. Right. And critical is it's not about buying somebody flowers. It's about no. doing something <laughs> that takes the load off of them. Yeah. Which also means, and it can be hard at a time when, you know, you got a lot of things getting your attention, but to kind of zero in and see what does someone need? What yeah. would be helpful to them? And you could also ask their supervisor or other colleagues, couldn't yes. you talk to the people in your community, which also expresses that you know yeah. people covered for you. Yeah. And I think a lot of women feel um, conflicted sometimes about having had people take over duties that they did that were important to them. And so you got to kind of just check that at the door. You got to be grateful and you have to actually applaud someone for stepping in and doing a great job. If you act like you're jealous, people don't know how to handle that. It's funny. It's like there's a, a sub theme that keeps coming up as we're talking, which is also about how do you stay maximally engaged by also letting go sometimes? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Not keeping as much control over everything, yeah. trusting the people in your life, turning to your colleagues mm-hmm. and letting them in. Mm-hmm. 
Lauren, I can't thank you enough for joining well, us today you. and for the work that you're doing at large. I think it's important. So if listeners want to find more out more about the fifth trimester, how can they find you? How can they find it? Uh, my website is thefifthtrimester.com, and I am an Instagram addict um, at the fifth trimester. On Twitter, I am Lauren S. Brody, and of course, I'm on Facebook, too. Um, I don't do Snapchat. That's the only thing Fair I enough. don't do. Neither do I. And thank you, all of you, for listening. If you have a question about anything you heard on today's show, you can email us at business radio at SiriusXM.com. And you can follow our show on Twitter at BizRadio111. And you can follow me at Laura Zarrow. A special thanks goes out to Lauren Smith-Brody. I'd also like to thank our producer, Patty Hall, our associate producer, Danielle Bruno, Emily Anton, who's been, who made everything in New York today possible, our sound <laughs> engineer. I'm Laura Zarrow, and you've been listening to Women at Work on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on SiriusXM 111. Number one music brand for kids is getting a special preview on Sirius XM Spotlight. Nothing but kid approved music, today's biggest pop hits, sung by kids for kids. It's a non stop pop star party hosted by the Kids Pop Kids. The place where kids rule the radio. Kids Pop Radio. Special preview on now. Spotlight Channel 4. And on all Sirius XM connected devices and speakers. I'm Dan Loney. Join me Thursday at 10 a.m. for Knowledge at Wharton. 